right, let's um, continue, <coughs> pick up again our uh, elaboration of this idea of sensing with soul and our exploration of what some of the possibilities of what can happen as uh, there is that opening of the, the, the field of experience and the, the sense, the senses and the sense of experience. And just to start with um, a few observations, or one larger observation. Um, Generally, it seems to me, uh, generally, again, always exceptions, but generally, as soul-making practice uh, matures, if we can use that word, um, or evolves, or whatever, grows, um, there's a with that maturity, or part of what's involved in that maturity is that there's an increasing mixture or interfusion of life and image. In other words, we, we sense more with soul in, in, um, in different ways. And, and that, to me, is something that I've, I've observed quite generally. Um, so, a few different aspects to that. Um, the first is it. Uh, how to say this? It becomes it, it, um, it becomes primary uh, more and more, perhaps, uh, and but often in quite subtle ways, not clumsy or ego-driven ways. But what becomes more primary is the the relationship of the imaginal and quote life um, through. Uh, so, if we're talking about intrapsychic images, then through. Um, also extra psychic through the, through the sense of demand duty um, uh, what needs then to be expressed or manifested um, from that's born or comes with as a duty or demand from that image um, and again this really isn't too clunky or clumsy or uh, there's this what I'm talking about is not um, an ego identification or reification, so that's you know loosened uh, all that. But then, then this um, importance of the relation of the imaginal and life, and it can be really quite quite subtle, and it, and it brings in the question, it brings with it the question of how, what is demanded, what is my duty, how, and at what level, and in what domain. Does this image, so to speak, translate into um, an expression, a manifestation in through my life? What is involved in that infinite echoing and mirroring that I alluded to? And these are um, subtle and delicate questions. <clears throat> Again, there's the problem of this kind of gross um, reification and literalization and concretization, a kind of very oversimplistic translation of image into life. Um, not always, but sometimes um, that can signal a kind of inappropriateness. So that's one aspect that, that comes with the maturing of soul-making practice, generally speaking, um, and of this mixing and meeting and interfusing more and more of um, life in the imaginal, and this, move, this opening of the sensing of the soul. Um, and the second aspect is that we... Um, well, there is more sensing of life with soul. More and more we sense life with soul. We enter 
the, 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 the mode of sensing, sensings that we have is more uh, infused with soulfulness, is more soul-making, is more um, imaginal. We see, to, so if we use a visual metaphor, we see life as image more and more, as imaginal image. And that becomes, again, not a permanent state, but something that we move much more often and regularly in, in and out of. Um, and a part of that um, s- sensing life with soul more um, is that uh, what, what that also includes is a kind of um, recognition, if you like, in hindsight of how much <coughs> and how often the imaginal and the um, fantasy, uh, different fantasies, have already uh, been operating in our life. <clears throat> what I mean by image is primary. Actually, one way of conceiving all this is that actually we are um, driven by fantasy, by image. In in a good sense, we we sometimes ignore it, or we collapse it, or reify it, or uh, make it too small, or don't recognize its divinity, or over-identify all this kind, over-identify all that kind of thing. But with this growing of the maturity, both in the understanding and the experience of soul-making practice, one of the facets is that we. Um, in sensing life more often with soul and more deeply and more richly with soul, one, a- one aspect is that we kind of recognize the, the primacy and the frequency and just how much and how often the imaginal and the fantastical is already operating in our life, already primary, already driving, uh, pulling us, calling us. Uh, and we see uh, and we can understand that or rather we can bring that as a perspective of one way of understanding what's been moving us in our lives, what does move us, what does galvanize us, why we choose certain things, why certain uh, ways of interacting tend to um, manifest themselves and expressions. Um, And so there's this more, it becomes more about the uh, relationship of the imaginal and life, um, and um, um, there's also this. Uh, just we see life more with soul, and uh, thirdly, there is the widening, the deepening, and the um, variegating, the making more manifold, more options of our senses of sacredness. In o- in other words. Um, w- the ways and uh, directions and places and levels at which we sense sacredness uh, expands, gets wider, gets deeper, gets gets quite uh, varied there. And uh, and I mentioned that for me, um, this 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 piece of the opening up and the uh, diversifying and of the. Uh, senses of sacredness, sensing life, the sacredness in life, in existence, in death, in all of it, and all the elements of that. For me, that's the main point. Now, of course, and I, I really do mean this, you, uh, anyone is free to decide what for them is the main, if, if one is taken with these practices and interested in them, to, uh, anyone is free to decide what is the main point uh, what is the main point for you, um, for them, etc. But just to say that for me, this is 
this is kind of the main point. This is there's so much richness, so much bounty and gift um, through these practices, through these ways of conceiving. So much is opened up, but kind of at the end of the day, if I just am honest, for me that's the main point. This opening up of the senses of sacredness. Um, but just to throw in, if it's because it may not be obvious, and sometimes even that word sacred people, say, well, what does that mean? I don't know. I can't relate to it, um, or it's a it's a problematic word, or a charged word, or a taboo word, or just a dead word. Um, but just to say, um, in case it's not obvious, that a sense of sacredness doesn't necessarily mean um, something solemn or stiff. So increasing the senses of sacredness that we have, that are active in our life, that are um, working and flowing and opening and dynamic doesn't mean that we become more solemn and stiff um, and sacredness doesn't always uh, um, translate or manifest in some kind of um, uh, kind of always sober uh, manifestation uh, just witness the poems of Rumi when he talks about shams and etc um, and uh, you know, I got a, a note or an email from from Yogi's quite a while ago, um, and and she said, you know, I was with this imaginal figure, and we were in hysterics together. Um, it was uh, hysterically funny, and uh, I said, you never you never said that could happen, um, but all kinds of things are possible, and certainly um, sacredness does not always look solemn, stiff, and permanently sober. So there's just a few observations, uh, general observations. Um, but I said I was going to look at in a little more detail, probe, open up in a bit more detail and through examples. Um, how does this sensing with soul uh, open up? How, how does our sensing, when, when our sensing opens up to a sensing with soul, how does that happen? What supports it? What are the shifts or triggers or um, influxes or other openings, etc., that allow that. Um, so I'd like to go into this just a little bit. Um, uh, very generally and broadly, we might say that um, in order for something in in the material world, whether that's a person or a, an object or a event or, or whatever it is, um, or, or, or a feeling, um, an emotion, a state uh, that one is going through, whatever it is. In, in order that something in, in the material world or the, uh, or the experiential world is um, sensed with soul, we could very broadly, very generally say that, um, loosely, four, four, four things are necessary. And the first is that we need to be open to this thing and intimate with it. So this thing, whatever it is, and I'll give some examples, um, uh, I need to actually meet it and touch it um, with my consciousness, with the senses. I need to be present to it, and I need to be intimate with it. So for example, if it's um, my dukkha that I'm experiencing at a certain time, just in a moment, or it might feel like it's a lifetime of a particular kind of dukkha that I struggle with again and again, I need, um, in order to sense that dukkha with soul, or in different language that we've used, before, to, for that dukkha to be re-enchanted, this pain, this suffering, this sorrow, this um, 
this thing that actually I don't like, I need to become intimate with it. I need to open to it and become intimate with it. And this is a sort of sine qua non. I, I, it's, it's, a, it, it's basic. I can't, I can't skip this step. Um, so whether it's my dukkha, um, whether it's uh, some object, a material object, or, or something, or whatever it is, any, any phenomenon, I need to, firstly to become open to and intimate with it. When I outline these four, I don't necessarily mean that they happen in time, in some linear order. It might be m- mixed up, uh, you know, w- which comes first. <clears throat> the second um, factor or element or, or, or something that needs to be present is, again, emphasizing um, the inclusion of the whole energy body um, pervaded by sensitivity, by that kind of delicacy of attention that fills out that whole space um, and that whole um, openness to the whole range of vibrational possibility there in the energy body. That this, um, again, serves as a platform, uh, a key, uh, a door to sensing with soul. Um, Thirdly is some reduction in clinging. Um, Now, not so much that Absolutely everything fades. If you if you're familiar with deep emptiness practices, etc., actually all perception begins to fade. That's actually too much because sensing the soul is is a perception, of course, and um, as is internal imaginal perception. Any sensing the soul, intrapsychic, extrapsychic, extrapsychic, involves the fabrication of perception. So there can't be too much of a reduction in clinging because then all perception or most perception will fade. Certainly. Um, the level that we call sensing the soul. But there can be actually quite a lot, a range. But there has to be some reduction in clinging, some kind of loosening of the, the what maybe the habitual grip we have, um, either pushing away or holding on to a certain um, idea or a certain perception or in energetic relationship with something. Some uh, loosening of clinging is, is, is a necessary element in sensing the soul. Again, there's not a temporal linearity to these elements. And lastly, there's a kind of whole bag of tricks which we've uh, touched on before, um, and I would say just some receptivity or tuning into whatever the most helpful other um, element of the ima- what we would call an element or aspect of the imaginal or node of the imaginal constellation. So it might be, for instance, humility. It might be the neither real nor not real. It might be um, anything within them, the, the meaningfulness, the beauty, um, anything at all of that list um, that we went through. So then there's these four elements. Openness to an intimacy with uh, whatever object we're talking about, and in whatever realm of objects, whether that's intrapsychic, intrapersonal, as an emotion, or dukkha, or out there in the material world, or another person, or whatever. Uh, Openness and intimacy to the object, whole energy body sensitivity with that openness of what might be included there and the range that might be included there, some loosening of clinging, grip, fixation, and then a a kind of open, um, opportunistic uh, receptivity or tuning into whatever uh, otherwise is the most helpful element um, of the aspect of the uh, perception there of the imaginal perception of the sensing of soul. 
Now these four elements are often going to be mutual depending arisings anyway. They're mutually dependent. In other words, as, as I was trying to say uh, with the list, as one um, gets ignited or illuminated or um, fired up with uh, with the imaginal, uh, the fullness of the imaginal, with the sensing of the soul, then it tends to um, uh, influence the others and open them too. Especially between the second and the third, the um, sensitivity and uh, awareness, permeation of the whole space of the energy body uh, with, with this sensitive, delicate uh, kind of awareness and tuning in there, um, that factor, that second factor, and the reduction of clinging tend very much um, to be uh, easily observed. It's easily observable how, how the mutual dependency between them. So as we open up to include the whole energy body and an awareness of that and, and the sensitivity to that in uh, including that awareness and that sensitivity in how we're relating to some object, inner or outer, um, that ten, that opening up of that energy body sensitivity tends automatically to attenuate, reduce, loosen the clinging in relation to that object and in relation to other other elements as well, other factors in our in our being, in our perception, and vice versa. When there is a lessening of clinging, the availability uh, of the um, the sense of the whole energy body, that kind of um, awareness of the, of the body as energy body and that space as energy body and all that that means and might be, um, that tends to open up or just present itself, become more accessible or become noticed um, as there's less clinging. It, become, it becomes, if you like, the, um, maybe not default, but uh, one of the strong options for how we then sense the body. As there's less clinging, the body tends to be perceived um, more as an en- energy body, etc., um, so there's there's a very obvious, uh, easy to spot mutual dependent arising of the second and third um, factors of that little list, and with practice that mutual dependent arising will all, it will be also easy to spot the fourth. This um, the whole list of what we went through of the what we're calling the nodes of the imaginal constellation or the nodes of the lattice of the imaginal constellation or. humility, reverence, duty, meaningfulness, all, all that whole list, um, that will be included so we can, um, in tuning into that, something happens with the energy body and the clinging, and tuning in reducing the clinging, finding ways to reduce the clinging, those, that, those elements or one of those elements will present itself, become more accessible, become more available for to be receptive to, to tune into. So there's... Um, uh, with practice, that that those three, the last three um, factors of this little four uh, four item list become uh, it becomes obvious their mutual dependency. Also, the first, but um, it's not necessarily the case that someone opening to and becoming intimate with something in the usual ways that we talk about it in insight meditation, we put a lot of stress on that. In, uh, in in broadly speaking, in the insight meditation tradition, can you open to it? Can you be with it? Can you become intimate with it, um, etc.? 
um, whatever it is, and this experience that's passing through right now. We put a lot of emphasis on that, but it won't be the case that someone doing that in the context of then, you know, more um, sort of, uh, what can we say, um, uh, conventional insight meditation approach will then necessarily open up the others. There won't necessarily be a huge reduction in clinging. There will be some, just by virtue of approaching and opening to the object. There won't necessarily be um, the inclusion of the sensitivity to the whole energy body, etc. But with practice, these four <coughs> items or factors of this little list become, um, one can see the mutual dependency and actually use that to, uh, you know, if you like, catalyze or enhance or deepen uh, the whole the whole process, the whole movement or the opening into sensing the soul. So let's look at a few examples. I've just chosen a few to give you a sense of this, uh, what's involved in, what can be involved, the kinds of things that can be involved in experiences, but also what can be involved in, in the processes of how that transition um, into opening into sensing the soul happens. So, um, <clears throat> a, uh, a student sent me uh, an email some time ago, and she was just describing what was going on in her explorations in her practices, and and, and she was getting very uh, interested in the whole I- imaginal strand of practice, and she was also interested in others and samadhi and emptiness and all kinds of things. Um, but she was reporting that she was noticing, in her words, even the emptiness practices are getting consumed by the imaginal. So in the example she gave was, one minute I'm tracking Vedana. She's observing, uh, in other words, the arising of um, Vedana in relation to whatever, she doesn't actually say. Uh, could be the totality of experience, could be one sense door, could be one particular experience. For one moment I'm tracking Vedana, the pleasant, unpleasant uh, kind of neither pleasant nor unpleasant um, uh, categories of Vedana as they arise moment to moment. One minute I'm tracking Vedana, she says, and perceiving it as empty. So that's an extra kind of way of looking. Um, she's training her her attention on the Vedana, keeping it lightly there, and and employing some mode of looking that perceives that Vedana as empty of inherent existence, of which there are many and talked and written about that plenty, so I'm not going into that now. But just the fact is she was employing an emptiness way of looking in regard to the Vedana. And then she reports, and in the next moment, it, it becomes holy. The Vedana becomes holy and turns into leaves fluttering from branches. There's a beautiful uh, uh, image there. Um, and so in, in our language, um, there's the emptiness practice and the intimacy so tracking Vedana, one has to be intimate with it, because actually it's a felt experience. One can't do that intellectually. One can't do that um, kind of at a, at, a, at, a, at a large distance. One actually has to feel pleasantness, unpleasantness, uh, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, all of which is an intimacy, and an intimacy of attention, an intimacy of feeling, basically. But uh, sometimes that word Vedana gets most often translated. So there's the intimacy there, and there's also the emptiness. And emptiness ways of looking, as you probably know, I've harped on so many times about, um, emptiness ways of looking 
um, naturally bring a reduction, a loosening of clinging, which uh, allows a loosening of perception, a, a, a lessening of fabrication. Less clinging, less fabrication. Less fabrication means this thing that I'm perceiving, a Vedna, whatever it is, um, is then less fabricated, less rigidly, tightly, solidly formed as a thing. Um, it becomes, uh, to, to, to borrow an alchemical metaphor that we haven't used for quite a while, um, it becomes water. All things become water. If you remember from um, some years ago, he used to say that a lot in relation to the imaginal. Don't proceed until all things have become water. That's an alchemical maxim. All things becoming water means all things um, not so rarefied, not so concretized, not so rigidly kind of conceived of and perceived as just this. This is what they are. Um, and then the self in relation to that also, this is this is what it is. Um, so all things become water through the uh, lessening of clinging that goes automatically with an emptiness way of looking and the lessening of fabrication. So they become the solidity gets fabricated less. The, um, the thing is fabricated less as this rigid, solid, concrete, whatever. And so very, this happens quite regularly for some people, is just that loosening in the context of trying to do an imaginal practice, automatically in the making water, making liquid, um, don't proceed until everything is liquid, in, in the making liquid of uh, what is of the perceptual field, we could say, um, the um, either images arise, intrapsychic images arise in that water, or uh, whatever is in that field begins to be sensed with soul. So there's two factors, if you like, there. The lessening of clinging that in this case came from the emptiness practices, and there's also the intimacy that's implicit in, in, in the very uh, practice that she was doing. Um, okay, so that's one example, uh, looking at the different factors. Um, some of you listening were present uh, and participating in the retreat that we did. I think it was the last retreat, um, the Alchemy of Desire at the Guy House. And you'll remember the ritual we had, I think it was towards the end of the retreat, um, involving the tangerines and uh, and the kind of sanctification that happened there. So I want to r remind those who were there and also kind of hopefully try and explain what happened because I don't think we recorded it in any way. Uh, probably uh, one would need to have filmed it more, more really to get a sense without hearing. So let's see if I can describe a little bit. Um, earlier in the tree, by the way, we'd actually um, spent um, a day reminding people of um, the importance uh, generally of being able to put things down in, in the sense of uh, not cling, m move away from an image, give it up, go back to the breath, go back to the energy body, uh, whatever is not get so, um, have some freedom in, in relation to that. And so we were exploring a little bit just the whole um, idea and the whole uh, well, a few practice possibilities um, in the realm of just letting go, letting go of clinging, letting go of grasping, letting go of holding on to this thing, whether it's a wonderful, fascinating thing or a difficult thing. 
and we uh, offered the possibility of bringing m- mindfulness, like a really careful mindfulness, to a meal. Uh, I think it was before lunch or something. I said something in the hall, and this is quite common to do on an insight meditation retreat. Very, very important, beautiful practice. And also in looking at that, looking at um, the craving and the clinging that might res- uh, arise in relation to the whole eating experience and queuing for food and etc. and complex for us as human beings what comes up in relationship to food anyway we had we had given that as a practice and we actually intended to follow that through on the retreat as a theme and then look at what would it what would it uh, be or open up the possibility of actually relating to food um, imaginally or uh, sanctifying the whole experience with food but because there was so much on the retreat and we were really wanted to be cautious about you know not to overload people um, in a week's retreat at Guy House so we we actually just let it go and we didn't follow that through however um, somewhere I think towards the end of the retreat we we uh, Catherine led this I felt very beautiful ritual um, and part of what it involved uh, it, 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 in my words now is a kind of sanctifying of um, of food, in this case tangerines that were involved. So if I remember some of the elements, um, in a way we created a special space by um, moving into um, uh, a circle from the semicircle we've been in, moving into a kind of loose circle around a lovely blue velvet cloth that Catherine had. And she had um, a little sort of, um, I don't know what to call it, it looked a bit like a kind of half an oyster shell. Um, but it was gold inside. It was laminated with gold. Quite a beautiful thing. And she, someone had given it to her, I think, and she talked about that. And she talked. She placed it on the, in the middle. Uh, so we were cer- cer- in circles around this central sort of kind of altar uh, of, of of dark blue velvet, and placed it there, and talked about gold and luster, the luster of gold. And so there was this gold kind of oyster shell thing, beautiful thing, and asked us, if I remember, to reflect on on um, what what has or is becoming gold for us on this retreat, um, meaning what is precious for us, what's a treasure, what uh, speaks to us or resonates uh, with us in any way of, 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 of what we deeply, truly value in our being. So how and where has gold, uh, this sense of treasure or value, been showing up for us? Um, it may be conceptually, intellectually, heartfully, imaginally, um, energetically, in relationship to the body, uh, as we're exploring all these different elements and more. So the gold, uh, the sense of treasure, deep treasure, and gold itself, obviously is an image, and, and this uh, oyster shell of gold... Um, Kind of was placed there as as an image, or at least as a a, a touch point, a, a, a touchstone, really, of of that whole sensitivity to the sense of value of gold in our lives, in our practices over those days. Um, and, and gold might be sacredness and dimensionality and the kind of beyondness of uh, that that calls us and that we're pulled to and that we want to move into and connect with um, when there's eros. 
So this bowl or oyster shell or, or whatever exactly was, it was painted with this, laminated with this gold um, luster and, uh, and excuse me, I don't quite remember, Catherine then explored a little bit the etymology uh, and the history in relation uh, of, of the word lust and pointed out that the word lust only became a kind of negative term in, in English in the West in, uh, in the 16th century. And before that, it was actually somehow luster and lust were um, associated, or at least could be associated for the soul. Um, I guess I'll have to excuse me if I'm getting some of this wrong. But um, uh, and then so there's this association of gold and shining brilliance, uh, luster related to eros, related to lust, related to the eros in the way that we're using it. Eros as something that will make sacred, that will create and discover dimensionalities and beauties and sacrednesses and meaningfulnesses and um, lust making luster, lust making the luster of gold. Um, lust making treasure, making gold, lust discovering treasure and gold, lust in the sense of eros in the way that we've been talking about, so that uh, we can talk in a much fuller way about, um, if you like, a healthy appetite in and for the senses, rather than the senses, we went through all this in the eros unfettered retreat, the senses as merely a problematic uh, area for us to either disconnect from in our move to the transcendent or um, kind of hold at bay in this kind of limited way of with some notion uh, limiting supposed notion of bare attention or supposed bare attention so there was this there was this kind of altar created and a togetherness in, in the group in the entering into the ritual together and the ritual space if you like was created and uh, and, and Catherine was bringing this object and, invite, and speaking about gold, about luster uh, about the shining brilliance there <clears throat> about treasure etc and asking us to reflect on where the gold is or was for us on that retreat and, and feel into that. So this is important again. Intimacy, um, opening to, connection, sense into that actual knowing. So it's not just a, an abstract intellectual list. Oh yes, there was that on Tuesday morning or whatever. Um, there's this sensing into the knowing of this. And then further, um, and partly elaborating on this because I'm actually quite interested in uh, ritual as a, as a way of sensing the soul, but that's maybe for another talk. But um, So sensing into that sense of gold, where it has been for us, not abstract, not intellectual, getting the body and the emotionality and the soul involved. And then we were invited to, in our own time, um, while everyone was chanting together in a kind of um, uh, open chant, if you like, it was actually Om Ahum, um, and I think I said something about this um, represents the body, speech, and mind of all Buddhas, or the primordial Buddha, if you like, Om Ahum, body, speech, and mind of primordial Buddha. It's kind of uh, quite an open chant in terms of people can enter into all kinds of relationships individually, uh, whatever, uh, with that chant in ways that each person finds useful, so it wasn't too formulaic or too tightly circumscribed. And then as that chant was going on, and, and Catherine invited um, 
us, if we wanted to, to come to the center of the circle and make some gesture, um, uh, actually either in the center of the circle or in, in wherever we were sitting, some gesture um, of the body. Um, it could be an, anything at all that kind of expresses or reflects um, this honoring uh, and this recognition of gold, uh, this sense of gold that we have, this sense of uh, the beauty and the depth of meaningfulness of, of uh, whatever it was uh, that we felt that in relation to. Um, that sense of preciousness and instinctual sense of, of soul value. Um, so one could do that through the sound or through any gesture, no matter how um, subtle or involved or uh, um, gross even. Um, it, there was an openness and a freedom there to connect the body with the sense of sacredness and with the honoring of that and actually join them through the expression. And... Excuse me, I think uh, we had, before we, I can't remember the exact order, but yes, before um, before perhaps that, uh, or as, as that was starting with the, no, it was before, before the, um, the invitation to, to, to um, express with one's body or one's voice, um, there we divided up some tangerines and place the segments there on the cloth around, just sort of uh, around in a a aesthetically pleasing manner, around um, the (coughs) uh, gold bowl or oyster shell. And uh, so so that the the dark blue velvet cloth uh, in the candlelight with this uh, lustrous gold bowl and the deep orange of the tangerines um, was there as a sort of uh, focal point for our energies and our attention and our and our gestures and our uh, coming together there <coughs> in in this ritual and um, I can only speak for me um, but uh, what happened through that um, is there, there there was a focusing, uh, and a, 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 a bringing to consciousness and to, to, to visceral feeling and sense, to the soul sense, of the sense of sacredness. It was connected with the bowl. It was connected also with the group and the circle and the togetherness and, and the kind of invocation and the power through the, through the gesturing and the voice. The, the voicing together of the chant and the singing together and we were allowed to improvise how, however we wanted with the chanting as well and all that crea- created if you like a kind of um, soul field or soulfulness field or soul making field or um, force field um, of soul whatever we want to call it and and so what happened was that um, at, at the very least, I would say for me, at the very least, what happened was these different elements became kind of sanctified together, they, or in other words, they became imaginally perceived together. They gained dimensionality, meaningfulness, re- resonance. There was reverence in relation to all of them, beauty, um, all of that. 
Um, so that the tangerines then, um, as much as the chant, as much as each other and togetherness and the bowl and the sense of gold and all of that um, became kind of each each element there, each sensual element uh, became infused with soul. We sensed it. I, I, I speak for myself. I sensed it with soul and I also sense what other people were as well. Um, there was a, a sensing with soul of the tangerines, which, in fact, I don't think anything had actually been said. Uh, we hadn't said anything about the tangerines. I don't think Catherine had said anything. We just placed them in proximity, in this field of focus, if you like, in this um, soul field. And through proximity, through the kind of contingency, the touching, contingency to, to touch, um, to touch together, um, uh, through association, if you like, the tangerines um, became uh, sensed with soul. And whatever that might be um, for each individual person, there's going to be individual variations, but it will involve these general elements of sanctification, meaningfulness, beauty, dimensionality, depth divinity, all that stuff. Um, and so when it came time, we were invited to eat the tangerines again, um, slowly, mindfully, ritually, individually, in whatever way we wanted to, and people were uh, also given the possibility of feeding a tangerine to another in the group in, in a kind of um, ritual manner of, of their own choosing. Um, when that came to be the case, um, the tangerines themselves were, it was holy food, it was food of the gods, it was the blessing of the earth, it was um, uh, all of that. Uh, It was spiritual nourishment, soul nourishment, um, uh, which is so much more than just material, biochemical nourishment for the biochemical processes in, in, in the cells, in the body. And and so, again, if we kind of analyze a little bit um, what was happening, um, there's, um, through whatever we might say, association, proximity, contingency, and through the element of value, um, those two together were the prime element. And there is also something about field, which I'll come back to soon, the field of others, um, if we're open to them, um, and if there's not some problem there, then then the field, the, the social field we're in can be a, a soulful social field, can be a soul-making social field, so that it, it becomes catching. In other words, the tangerines caught the, um, the, the, the caught soul, if you like, through being in close proximity um, uh, with uh, with the bowl and with the sense of sacredness and um, and caught it from us and we caught it from each other etc. Um, I may come back to that whole question of field um, in this series of talks. Hopefully, maybe in the future we'll see. Um, but these two central elements there were deep value and um, association. So. If, if again, if we're kind of analysing, I don't want to be too technical about this, but um, those were, if you like, primary elements in, um, and also notice the involvement of the body. We could mention that in the chanting and the f- opening of the um, the body and the chanting, the involvement of all the senses: hearing, seeing, moving the body, um, 
the involvement of the body and the gesture and the invitation to, to express through the body um, whatever uh, devotion, etc. was there. We had, by the way, opened the retreat with a kind of um, in similarish invitation to express in the body one's devotion to eros and devotion to the mystery of desire, even if one didn't actually really understand uh, or that wasn't completely clear or free of problems for one. So this this ritual also kind of um, had a connection followed on from that previous soul-making ritual with which we opened the retreat. But anyway, in terms of conceptual understanding, and uh, right now there are these these two factors. So, when we sense the soul, something we sense something with soul. Sometimes through association of something else that we're sensing with soul, through proximity to it, gets caught up in the field, if you like, infused with um, with uh, soul making uh, sensing, um, and also through value. This is again something I might uh, return to. The, the, I probably will, but um, the, the, when when I, when we feel into our sense of deep, deep valuing of something, the goal, the treasure for us, and we feel it, and um, that also can be an element that stimulates the sense of soul making. So in that case, in that whole uh, ritual there, I certainly was really touched by. It, I thought it was very beautiful. Um, there is this. Um, the, the, we can we can look at we can begin to understand how that process happens. Okay, I I think I'll give another example. It's actually a lot more involved, and um, there are many elements uh, at work here. Um, so I'm going to again read from an email that a student um, sent me uh, a while ago. And um, I have her permission to do so. So, um, but there are many elements. So I'm going to intersperse it with sort of uh, commentary, if you like, a uh, very, very, uh, little bit of commentary, kind of drawing out for our attention the elements that are involved, what's happening in in this process of opening to a sensing the soul, or or, or transforming, if you like, the uh, um, perception sensing so that it becomes more soul-making, more soulful. Now, in fact, that was the very inquiry, the thing that I'm talking about now, the process that I'm talking about now and trying to kind of uh, uh, illuminate a little bit, uh, was, was, was the very uh, inquiry that this person was uh, working with when they, when they um, uh, opened in this way that they then wrote to me about. So I, I read you what she says. She says, um, I've also been working with what I'm calling transitioning into the imaginal. Um, I know, this is her again, I know that we are imagining 24 hours a day, but the soulful quality is not always present. So this has become a question for me. What do I bring to the imaginal that allows the soulfulness to blossom and feed me? Okay, this was actually a question she had asked on the retreat. I will point out, now we've said everything we've said in the first talk of this series, um, that uh, I would change the wording there. So she says, what do I bring to the imaginal? I would rather say, what do I bring to the imagination, to the use of the imagination that allows the soulfulness, in other words, 
to, that allows the soulfulness to blossom and feed me. In other words, that allows the fully, authentically imaginal to blossom or allows a sensing the soul. Um, so there's many elements here, as I said. Partly, notice that she's already she's starting with an inquiry, um, or rather, her imaginal explorations are infused with 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 a certain inquiry that she kind of invented. Um, it follows actually on she'd actually asked me something about this in retreat, which I had at the time only given a a kind of limited answer to um, to her. Um, but so she picked it up uh, off her own bat. Um, I don't think with any further suggestion from me, but I, I can't remember. But uh, anyway, there's this impetus, this willingness to inquire, and that's to me really, really important. And as you'll see in what she describes, there's a lot of flexibility. There's this um, willingness and um, uh, availability to play, to experiment. Let's see what happens. Let's try different things. Let's just um, have fun, even, you know. Um, in the context of this inquiry, this curiosity, and, and also a deep yearning and uh, longing for these kind of openings. Anyway, so she has this question, and then she says, one of my discoveries came during an eating meditation. Okay, so actually links to what we were talking about before, the, the kind of, if you like, the sanctification of food um, within the bigger subject of sensing the soul. And she continues, I had decided to continue with your instruction of taking a few meals meditatively. So this is exactly what I was saying before. We, we, this is after the retreat that I was just referring to when, when I'd given those instructions before lunchtime. I decided to continue with your instruction of taking a few meals meditatively, but decided that rather than emphasizing the emptiness, I would draw out the imaginal. I made some hummus and prepared a plate of vegetables and then sat down to eat. And I began with the more horizontal contemplation of all the hands that had touched this food, the growers and the transporters and the supermarket workers, etc. So a couple of things there. What she means by horizontal is there's a spreading out of the awareness of what's involved in this thing, the hummus and the vegetables and my sitting down to eat. What are the... um, dependent arising factors in the material world that contributed to this. Many of you will know this is a, um, a favorite of a lot of insight meditators and, and certainly of Thich Nhat Hanh talks a lot about this. Can we spread the field of awareness to see that this, if it is a plate of hummus or whatever, or vegetables, this depends on so many factors coming together to be now on my plate and that I'm able to eat this. As she says, the growers, the transporters, the supermarket workers, the growers' parents, the transporters' parents, the super, you know, all that, their education, their everything. Um, and so there can be an, a horizontal meaning, it spreads outwards to involve more and more of the world. But horizontal, she's saying, in contradistinction to a sense of, we could say, verticality um, or dimensionality um, is the currently more in favor term that I'm, I'm using. Um, so uh, she said, I began with the more horizontal. There's even an awareness. Okay, I'm not, I'm not doing imaginal yet. I'm just spreading it horizontally, this awareness. And in so doing, there's, there's already a loosening of the thingness of things, of the tight uh, sense of this, this is a plate of hummus. It's nothing but a plate of hummus. This piece of broccoli or whatever the vegetable carrot is, is, is just that. It, it has very clear borders. There's a loosening of that through the contemplation of this horizontal um, 
interconnectedness and the conditions. Now, also in that, um, with that sense of interconnectedness, uh, meta and compassion probably open and soften the heart somewhat, because then we become aware of like all the work and the care and oftentimes sacrifice that might have gone in um, to this uh, plate of vegetables and hummus from the growers and the people transporting and the people working in the supermarket who might be tired and it, or, or whatever. Um, there's, uh, in the sense of interconnectedness, it, it also conditions or forms a basis for the, the softening of heart with metta and compassion and heartfulness. Um, so to point that out as well, in terms, we're looking at the factors that um, support, catalyze, uh, and make possible this transition to sensing the world, sensing things in the world with soul. And then she continues, and then I looked at the vegetables and tried to see, in inverted commas she has, to see all the water and sunlight and earth that made up the walls of their cells. So again, the... Um, the, in, the interconnectedness, the horizontal interconnectedness meditation is broadening even more to these kind of more subtle elements. Uh, water, sunlight, earth, in the thing, so to speak. And so she's aware, I'm, I'm seeing it there, but it's in inverted commas. Um, and again, there's a kind of furthering of this um, loosening of the sense of the thing and the concept of the thing. Actually, again, as Thich Nhat points out, the rain is in this hummus. The rain is in this carrot. The soil is in this carrot. And if the rain is in it, then the clouds are in it. And the sea is in it, etc. Um, very beautiful. Um, but for now, what's important is the sense that this is part of the loosening. And she continues, uh, which led to this desire to taste all of that, all of the water and the sunlight uh, on the tongue. So... Uh, um, and, and she continues, to taste the dreams of the children whose parents had operated the machinery. How beautiful. To taste the dreams of the children whose parents had operated the machinery. In the opening up of the interconnectedness, the, the heart opens, and part of what opens is a desire to taste all of that. Desire and intimacy. Yes? And, uh, and she continues, and the dukkha that might have arisen in this long chain. Okay, so there's the compassion and wanting to taste, wanting to become intimate with that dukkha. Okay, yes, in the imagination, but still. There is this desire, element of desire, um, expansion, and uh, a kind of desire for something intimate there. She said to taste all of that on the tongue. So at this point we've got elements of imagination, desire, heartfulness, uh, love, all that. And then she continues, and I could feel in my body that the imaginal was operating. This feeling of liquidity and a bit of electric charge. So now she's, I read it as referring to the energy body. The energy body, she said, I could feel in my body that the imaginal was operating. How? As I've pointed out in the past, the energy body um, feels different. Something comes a little electric or a little alive or energized. Um, less solid, etc., etc. And she continues, I still hadn't eaten anything. I was just opening to that charge. So she's taking this very consciously with, as I said, a lot of mindfulness, a lot of sensitivity, aware of the different elements. Um, I still hadn't eaten anything. I was just opening to that charge. When I thought of you, she's writing this to me, and Jane, uh, and Jane, some of you may know, has been uh, so kindly and so 
beautifully preparing me food um, since I've been ill um, sometimes and uh, very uh, gracious and lovely and um, so this this person knew knew of this and um, my um, severely compromised digestive system after the operation and all that and being on chemotherapy and so and Jane's uh, beautiful service in, in offering food and so I was just opening to that charge in the body when I thought of you and Jane and the food that she was preparing for you and I thought how dearly I would love to feed you so again um, heartfulness here love um, eros perhaps in in our sense not not sexual remember it's, it's, uh, eros is a um, much bigger sense than that of the uh, everything that brings, perhaps devotion. Um, it's going to be there, eros, devotion, love, heartfulness, for any beloved um, erotic, in our sense, imaginal other. It just goes out, it may be a friend, it may be a, a, a partner, it may be a family member, it may be a teacher, as in this case, it may be a historical figure, it may be, um, as I've described, I, I would have for certain musicians or artists or spiritual teachers in the past, it may be a figure from literature, it may, may actually be a fully uh, an, a, an imagination character or from a film, but these elements are going to be there, a sense of some kind of sense of devotion, love, eros in our sense, heartfulness, etc. Uh, so and I thought, how dearly I would love to feed you. And then the words, my body is your body, were offered into the mind, uh, and there were some strong body convulsions as you and I merged. Um, so there's there's a lot going on here, and and again notice. Um, well, I'll come back to one element there, but for now notice how, uh, as we pointed out a lot in the eros unfettered talks, um, self and world as well as other are included in the imaginal perception here in the sensing the soul. So it's not just, in this case, me um, or the food, but um, my body is your body were offered into the mind, and there was some, the words, my body is your body were offered into the mind, and there were some strong body convulsions. In other words, there's an um, opening in the energy body. There's something, you know, another level going on in the energy body. It doesn't have to be convulsions. It can happen very, very smoothly and subtly. In this case, it was something a little bit stronger. Um, as you and I merged. So self and world are getting involved, all this, um, uh, but as uh, as well as other. In other words, her, uh, you and I merged, and, excuse me, my body is your body. So that little trinity of self, other, world, or large trinity, um, was, was getting subsumed, involved, drawn into the whole imaginal perceiving, the whole sensing of soul. And also the food that was that, that she was kind of paying attention to there uh, as the as the first object, um, as you and I merged, and and this food perception. In other words, she had the perception. This food perceptually had the potential to heal you. So there's again the the love and the care there involved in you know knowing about my situation with the, with the cancer and the chemotherapy and operation and all this um, and there's a transformation of the perception of self um, wor- world and its involvement in all this in, in, in the vegetables etc and and the food itself and me um, and the food 
you have, actually have the perception, the sensing of the food as the potential to heal you. And she continues, it was sacred, holy food, because it had been touched by everyone and everything. And it could offer its rain and compost and human emotionality into your system. Very beautiful. Do you see how everything is getting kind of involved, drawn, caught up in the, in the soul-making vortex, in the soul-making dynamics? And she continues, the feeling of you entering me, of this kind of fusion that happened, of us the consuming the food as one body and yet still two, it's, it's truly indescribable. She says, I'm, you know, I'm struggling to describe it, to convey it in words, but it was truly indescribable. <coughs> um, uh, so again, there's a lot of inquiry going on there, there's a lot of flexibility, there's many elements involved, and it's all done with this kind of careful, attentive, um, soulful mindfulness, you could say, or mindful, well, soulfulness has to be mindful, but, um, um, and there's a lot of flexibility and a lot of experimenting um, in all that. Uh, and yeah, in this case, it, it involves me as the imaginal other, um, or as part of part of the imaginal other, um, but in in a way that is you know healthy and beautiful, and still with a very clear boundary, and and the kind of boundary functioning as a temenos that can allow this kind of um, this kind of opening up into the imaginal, and not become either something that needs to be concretized if it even could, or, um, in this case, or uh, something that feeds someone's ego, my ego, or her ego, whatever. Her inquiry continues, and she writes to me, um, since then I've tried to recreate the above, and she has that recreate in inverted commas, to recreate the above with varying varying results. So again, she's she's on a a thread of inquiry here. So... uh, I feel so so important. I feel like there is still so much. This is her again. I feel like there is still so much to know and learn about the conditions that align when the imaginal is most potent. Again, it's exactly what I've been talking about over these talks, uh, this set of talks so far. Perhaps the clue is in the word "recreate," she says, which suggests that these sacred visits from the imaginal. Uh, from the soul, we might say, um, might be just the result of tinkering with the conditions and gaining control, in inverted commas, over when and how they appear. And she continues, This lacks the erotic thrust, the sublime impregnation of how I experience these moments. It's like you've said many times, she's talking to me now, um, they have a divine autonomy. The element of surprise and grace is flattened by believing um, I, anyone, as a human being, could fashion it alone. In other words, it's all just up to me, as I said, up to my kind of technical mastery, etc. There is that, but there's also this element of grace that I've been trying to uh, include in, um, in, in the first talk on this set. Um, and again, if we pick out one one phrase that she had said earlier to illustrate this, um, she says she had said and written, and then the words "My body is your body" were offered into the mind. In other words, that that was that was an element of grace. There, something just was given. It occurred to the mind. It was planted. It landed in the mind. This kind of thing is very common. It's as if, as I said, we're given something by soul. We're handed something um, as if the soul has its own kind of um, intention 
intentionality, its own kind of direction that it wants us uh, wants to stimulate in us, but which we still need to assent to and to pick up with skill and sensitivity and responsiveness and free will and all that. And then she says, just at the end, maybe this was what you were trying to point out on retreat. I actually um, can't remember. It may have been. but um, So there's an example that uh, involves, uh, as I said, many elements and... Um, all subsumed into kind of a, a larger inquiry and uh, a lot of flexibility and experimenting, etc. So let's finish this um, <clears throat> this uh, short part with um, with just a few observations again. Um, when there is sensing with soul um, in terms of either of the extrapsychic or the intrapsychic, and again I've said this before, but it may be worth saying again. Um, the what we might call the conventional perception of the physical or material world and the things in that world that are in front of us or around us or whatever, they they don't necessarily disappear. In fact, most of the time they won't disappear. So um, I'm still seeing what uh, you know um, anyone might see um, uh, that what we call conventional perception. It's just that. A dimensionality or dimensionality dimensions have opened up meaningfulness sacredness um, all these other elements have opened up um, not in place of that object but that object is then imbued filled out enriched complicated uh, etc to in 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 that soul making way in, in in those by those elements or aspects of the imaginal or the sensing with soul and again, I know I've said it before, I'm pretty sure, but um, just to again, say again, in all this, with sensing the soul, it is actually possible to have two perceptions at once. Um, again, one kind of very conventional sort of level perception, if you like, of what um, anyone in any state of consciousness, apart from, well, not in any state of consciousness, but in, anyone in a normal state of consciousness, let's say, if that yeah, in a normal state of consciousness, would would feel in in that uh, situation. Um, so, for example, um, the sensation of the body sitting, the sensations of touch with the um, cushion or chair or bench or whatever it is on the backside, the sensations of the feet or the legs on the floor, all that, just normal body sensations of sitting, and at the same time, an image of the body. Uh, or a sense, a s- the sensations of the energy body at the same time that are very different to uh, the, the the kind of normal conventional physical sensations that one can also feel. So one can feel one sitting still in the chair or on the cushion or whatever and feels that sensation. At the same time, one has an image and or, um, or let's say, an, uh, an, uh, an essential experience um, uh, of sense of of the energy body, as I've described, for instance, doing cartwheels or somersaults or um, dancing or flying or um, uh, or coiling around the the vertical central axis of um, an erotically beloved imaginal other, or the body as uh, a light body of a certain color. All kinds of possibilities in that perception. Um, is possible at the same time as the normally conventional perception of the sensations and even maybe the visual perception of one sitting in uh, wherever one's sitting on the, on the cushion, on the chair, on the bus, whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> or uh, uh, one may be sitting, you know, in the 
presence of a, a, a um, in the physical presence of a beloved uh, other, and one sees them as one normally would see them, as everyone kind of pretty much would see them. Um, and at the same time, there's an imaginal perception of them, of him, of her, of them, uh, um, uh, th- th- that's that's different. They they are an angel, or they are um, a cosmic king or queen or or, or whatever it is. Um, all infinite possibilities there, um, and that perception sensorially might be quite vague. In other words, it might not have. Cl- we might not clearly be able to discern, but we know it's angelic, or we know it's this kind of um, cosmic uh, queen thing. It's not, maybe, sometimes, I can't really kind of describe it exactly, other times maybe we can, but that kind of, um, as I've pointed out many times before, that kind of vividness of the image in to the senses or to the inner senses is is not important. It's not a problem. It doesn't it doesn't really matter that much. What matters more is these other elements of the um, sensing the soul. These other elements or aspects of the imaginal constellation. Okay. Uh, last thing for now um, <clears throat> about intention again. Again, I've mentioned this before, but it's. Uh, it's quite an interesting aspect to me to, to touch on and to open up and explore and um, uh, draw attention to mention. Um, I talked on a couple of recent retreats about different possible fantasies of path and goal and self on that path. And one of them I called the medical model, um, which typically is the model that a lot of spiritual teachings um, uh, employ often, oftentimes, not consciously, sometimes consciously, because it was actually uh, anyway. Um, it was actually something that, that was pointed out by uh, some Greek philosopher, I think, whose name I've completely forgotten. Um, so, philosophy as a medicine for the soul, and that whole uh, analogy of uh, of the path, which the Buddha used used um, explicitly and consciously, um, the the Buddha as physician. Diagnosing, giving a prognosis, giving a, a cure, etc., uh, a regimen of treatment, being the eightfold path, and all that. <clears throat> um, and so, in that medical model, one's really trying to um, end suffering, or, or for most people, it's actually just decrease suffering, um, whether that's in the moment or over over a long term. And what I want to point out now is that um, medical model, or that intention to. Um, let's say just decrease suffering, alleviate suffering. Um, sometimes, sometimes that very intention or, or, or having that intention as primary may block or stifle the fullness of the soul making that's then possible. Um, the fullness or authenticity or genuineness of the imaginal and um, the images that open up or uh, the fullness of what's and the richness of what's possible in sensing the soul. Sometimes, um, we talked in the first talk on this series about one of the aspects, one of the elements of the imaginal constellation, being fullness of intention. Um, so it's not that that, and this is complicated, but it's not. Um, I don't mean r- right now to say that. Uh, all I said back then was I don't mean to say that 
um, the desire for alleviating suffering isn't there and part and parcel of what's going on for someone exploring these practices. But at some point, it may well not be the primary intention. And I think that's perhaps the important piece. So, imaginal perception, the imaginal sensing the soul, whatever we're going to call it right now, it may well... Uh, and uh, end end a certain suffering. It may well just totally dissolve a certain suffering. It very probably and almost always attenuates or alleviates, and sometimes to a remarkable degree, um, some suffering. So that is very probable. But again, in in my way of thinking about things, uh, at least where I am right now, it's not really the point. Um, it's somehow included in the package more often than not, but it's not... It's not. It becomes something that's not the primary point of what we're doing. Oftentimes, what happens is um, the suffering is translated, if you like, or it's cast differently through the sensing with soul, through um, the uh, imaginal perception. Uh, the sensing with soul puts the dukkha in a different light, in a different context, if you like. It sets it on a different stage, and. Um, and and this uh, this this kind of allows or brings soul making in in soul making. That's what's happening, um, not necessarily the ending of suffering. Okay. Um, but this is complex, and I will actually return and devote a whole talk in this series. I hope to some of the. Uh, strands of the very complex area of, of dukkha and soul making um, but just to say for now um, this, this piece about intentionality is can be significant um, in sensing the soul because um, if the primary intention is getting rid of dukkha or just alleviating dukkha which is a fine intention and very appropriate at times and um, completely valid and uh, um, everyone should be free to choose that at times, um, or even all the time if that's what they want. Um, um, there will be times when, if that's the primary intention, it actually blocks and stifles and prevents a fullness and a full deepening and opening of the sensing with soul. Um, it may be, um, as one explores all this, and, and uh, there may be there's some dukkha and some grief or suffering of some different kind um, and one starts with the intention of just wanting to alleviate that dukkha and that's very understandable and very normal <clears throat> um, but then uh, when the suffering is alleviated just, just enough or just a little bit um, the sensing with soul begins to emerge or become possible and maybe that then becomes the primary intention and through that maybe the suffering is, is um, decreased or it may be, uh, like I said, oh yeah, I just said that, the, as the imaginal opens, um, suffering is decreased. So there's also fluidity in terms of intentionality um, that can be possible here. Um, but just to draw attention to that briefly right now. <coughs> um, okay, I think that's enough for, for today. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.